Well, welcome everybody, and we're in the Gospel series. The title today is The Price for Paul's Obedience. We saw last week, or at least we started to see the cost of disobedience. And we also started to move into the cost of obedience, didn't we? The cost of obedience. And we started to see that Jesus Christ has made it clear in the Scriptures there's a cost involved in becoming a follower of His. And He's expecting us to, first of all, count the cost, isn't He? The cost before jumping on that train... Yeah, you've got to count the cost. And he's asked us to do that. In fact, in the scripture, when you go and see it, he asks us, before you start to build that house, sit down. Sit down, assess what you're doing, assess the costs involved, and then move forward with him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, that may have been news for many of us. And if it wasn't, we we may have underestimated the extent of that cost of Jesus Christ and the, the cost that he demands us to pay. So today I want us to see what cost actually means. Did you catch that? What cost actually means. Because so many will superimpose a meaning on the word cost. That fits their cost model. If you're in the financial sector, you'll know what a cost model is. And so many people will superimpose their cost model on that. Or the cost that they're willing to pay is going to be sufficient. When he demands a certain cost, and he, de- he depicts it straight here in the scripture, we're going to see it. And that might not fit your mold of what your cost is. So today is going to be a mold-shattering experience for all of us. Yeah, We're going to go into the scripture and hopefully shatter some of the molds that we've built up around the cost that we deemed are the price and the cost that we are willing to pay, but maybe not the cost that he's talking about. So we're going to allow the scriptures to determine what the cost actually is. That sounds so fundamental, but so often what we do is we superimpose our models on top of the scripture and our molds on top of the scripture and don't listen and don't comprehend what the scriptures are actually saying. Because normally in life, cost is relative to all of us. Yeah? yeah. And we spoke about, remember the week we spoke about buying a Rolls Royce, yeah? yeah? Now to Bill Gates, for him to go and buy a Rolls Royce is loose change. Yeah. <laughs> do you see that? He walks in the showroom, he doesn't look at the price, he doesn't think, wow. I'm not paying that. It's just loose change to him. But to you and I, we have to work for years to be able to afford, if we can even do it by using all the salary we've ever earned in our life, to get that Rolls Royce. You see? Because it's relative to the money that he already has. But Jesus Christ makes the cost to be paid a level playing field for all of us. Yeah? And we're going to see that today. Because if you speak, as I say, to a millionaire, or a billionaire in his case, about an expensive item you bought, in his mind, is probably dirt cheap. What's she on about? Why is she moaning about the price of that? That's cheap. It's only $75,000. Yeah, but it's relative because of what that individual has or what they don't have. But when Jesus Christ talks about cost, it's not relative. Yeah, it means paying the cost is defined in the scripture. We're going to see that today. So we're going to get an insight today about what cost means in the scripture. Yeah, what it actually means. And we started to see it last week, and for all of us, and it might have been, for all of us, shocking to read it. Life. That's one thing he said. You've got to give me your life. You've You've got to put your family aside and not make them the priority. That's huge for all of us. That might not be the cost. Quote, cost that you and I are willing to pay. But it's a cost that he's demanding. You see? We've got to bring it back to his words. Yeah? Now, do you think it was shocking for the disciples to hear what his cost was? 
You bet it was. <laughs> that was absolutely shocking. Then we're going to go into a record here that shows the shock when he's depicted the cost to them as to what it would take to enter into the kingdom. They were greatly astonished, it says. We're going to see it. But, and this is before we get into the real subject matter today. Because as I say, the, the title today is The Price for Paul's Obedience. We're going to get into that a little bit. But I want us to go and see the reaction of the disciples when they got an insight into the cost Jesus Christ portrayed to all of them. Yeah? And we have to be very aware now of the backdrop of this whole cultural situation that these disciples were in and what they had to handle. When you associated yourself with Jesus... Yeah, in that society at that particular time, you immediately became an outcast, didn't you? In the minds of the majority, and I'm talking about the religious majority, you were an outcast. But just watch this situation now when Jesus Christ confronts someone about his standard, about Jesus' standard for the cost to be paid and the cost that we've started to allow the scriptures over the last few weeks to define for us. Now bear in mind, most of these standards have been so watered down today in Christianity that virtually no one thinks they're actually necessary. Change! <laughs> yeah? Oh, you don't have to change, for goodness sake. You just come to regular church. Put your hand up. Accountability. Did you hear these words? Change. Accountability. Oh, accountability. No, no. Jesus did it all. You're not accountable for what you do. That judgment seat of Christ doesn't mean good and evil, just means good. Do you realize that's what the majority of Christians believe today? What about suffering? <laughs> oh, no, no, there's no suffering for you. You've believed in Jesus. We've got the gathering together coming up. And all that suffering is after we're all up in the clouds in heaven with Jesus on a cloud eating Philadelphia cheese. Yeah. That's all wrong. According to the scripture, we're going to see it today. We're going to see some of the greatest representatives of God who ever walked the face of the earth doing a whole pile of suffering. And for you and I to think that we're not going to get any of this at any time, in any point of our lives, it's wrong. It's a whole comfort gospel that people are shrouding their hearts and minds with and forgetting the truth of the scripture and what the scripture dictates. Yeah? Now we're really familiar with this situation we're going to go into here. Because Jesus here has just confronted the young rich ruler about the cost that young rich ruler would need to pay. And what was that cost? Was it his life? Well, not initially it wasn't his life, it was his cash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? And for this rich guy, he, he, I asked him to get rid of his cash. Give it to the poor. And follow me, Jesus said to him, and follow me then in the present tense. And that was just too much for this guy. Because Jesus eventually asked him for his life. He asked him to follow him in the present tense. We're going to see it, right? But Matthew 19, 22 really comes after that confrontation. And when the young man heard this, he went away how? Sorryful. Sorry, Jesus. Yeah. I can't do that. I can't pay the cost that you've outlined to me. I'm out of here. For he had what? Great possessions. He had what? Great possessions. He was the Bill Gates of his time. Or he was well up there in society. He, had a, he was very rich. 
And then Jesus, look what he does next to highlight in your notes. He said to the disciples. Why? Why is he pointing to the disciples? Because they're going to be followers of his. Yeah? He didn't go chasing after the rich guy. He's talking to those who hung about. <laughs> Having heard what the cost is, they're still there. They didn't follow the rich man. They stayed with him. Said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich per person enter the kingdom of heaven. So we all know, coming from the lips of Jesus Christ, this is the truth, that any time you come up against a rich person and they have to make the sacrifice, they have to pay the cost to follow Jesus, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I tell who? You, because you're the disciples, you're the ones who follow me. I'm telling you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What is the whole context with which Jesus Christ is talking about the cost? It's eventually going to be the entrance into the kingdom. If you're willing to pay the cost, this is where you're going to end up. And we looked at it a while back, Luke 14.33 says, So therefore, uh, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Do you get the message? He's not making it easy. He's, he's saying, look, there's going to be cost involved. There's going to be something you have to pay to follow me. And we have to get that through our heads. This is not a free ride, like I said last week. Now, do you see what these terms Kingdom of God and Kingdom of Heaven are used in the same context. They're used in relation to the same earthly coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. They're synonymous terms. Yeah? Because yeah. Jesus just used them interchangeably, didn't he? Yeah. Hey, another point we should also consider is, do you really want to be rich? Yeah. <laughs> do you? Do you really want to have great possessions? Because he's immediately told us, if you do that, you're going to have a difficulty entering the kingdom of heaven. Anybody want it to be difficult? Then why do you have your hand up when they ask you, do you want a lottery ticket? Because yeah. you immediately know if you win that, it's going to be difficult to enter the kingdom. But not in our minds. Oh no, Jesus, give me all that millions of bucks. I can handle it. And he's saying, no, you can't. The majority of people can't. 125 million Americans last year bought a lottery ticket. What does that tell you? They're not concerned about making it into the kingdom, are they? Are they? No? Because if anybody offers you a free lottery ticket, you should say no. Oh no, but it's a winning lottery ticket. Even worse. Even worse. Because you're going to have it find a difficult time entering the kingdom. My goodness. You'd think that would ring a bell for some of us. Yeah. Look at Matthew 19:25. But when the disciples heard this, listen, they just heard it. Okay? They were what? Greatly astonished. There was shock written all over their face, saying, "Who the heck can be saved then?" Yeah. Now that's a fantastic phrase that we've got to understand. They're talking about salvation. Who then can be saved? What is the context of what Jesus Christ twice reiterated to these guys inheritance into the kingdom? And we suck these verses out of there and say, oh, what salvation, that's today. It's not today. The fullness or the greatness of this inheritance of this salvation is in the coming event. Don't suck it out of that context. Yeah? But we should immediately be asking, what were these guys referring to? 
It's the same thing. <laughs> the same thing. Because we're going to see in the context, Peter asks Jesus a great question coming up here, and he's thinking future. He's not thinking now. He's thinking future. We're going to see it. Because for the many think this saved is a one-time event when a person does a verse. Is that what Jesus said to this guy? It wasn't. He didn't say to the guy, do a verse. All you have to do is this one verse and you're okay. He didn't say that to him. This guy, Jesus offered this guy a walk of faith in the present tense. Yeah, Following him, he didn't ask him to do a verse. And then this guy would inherit into the kingdom. That would have been so easy if that was the case, but it isn't. He also offered him all that this walk in the present tense would entail. (laughs) Which wasn't all positive stuff. Remember we saw last week when God and Jesus Christ called uh, Saul. Remember that? The first thing he told him is, not not this is going to be a more abundant life for you. No, you're going to suffer for my name. Yeah, that was the first thing he said to him. And then look at verse 26. But Jesus looked at them. Do you see the whole focus is on those disciples because these were the redeemed of Israel. Those were his followers. And he said to them, with man, this is impossible. Now, he couldn't even be pointed to this guy because he had already gone over the horizon. (laughs) But he's saying, with this man, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all of this is possible. And believe me, it's going to take the grace of God in every one of our lives to get this inheritance in the kingdom. It's not going to be by how much you believe him in the present tense or anything else. It's going to be by the grace of God that you're able to do it. Yeah. Look at verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, now listen up. This is Peter. This was not a walkover of a guy. This guy was tough. Yeah. You ever seen one of these UFC fighters? That's the way I imagine Peter. He was a tough guy. He wasn't going to let Jesus off with this. He said, and Jesus said in reply, in reply to what? In reply to what Jesus had just outlined to the rich guy. He says, see, hold on a minute. Jesus, we've left everything and followed you. Oh, Jesus must have been held aback. <laughs> I don't see Peter whispering this to Jesus. He says, we've, we've, lo- we've lost everything. We've left everything. We've been ostracized from society. We're getting buffeted, we're getting persecuted. We've left everything for you and we're following you in the active tense. We're continuing to follow you. What then will? Future tense, we have. (laughs) Do you see that? Peter said, okay, this guy wasn't willing to pay the cost. Well, I have. So pay up. But when is he expected to be paid? In the future. In the future kingdom of Jesus Christ. He's not looking for payment now. This payment now is going to be horrendous. And if you follow Jesus Christ in the present tense, into the, what's depicted in the scriptures, it's going to be horrendous for you and I. Because we're going to see Paul's following and obedience to Jesus Christ. And it was absolutely horrendous, guys. And I want everyone to be absolutely clear on this before you jump on his train. Count this cost, because this cost is going to come. If life goes on much longer, we're going to be paying some phenomenal costs. And you better know it up front. Because the minute it hits your life, you're going to give up. 
if you haven't put the root system of the Christ into your life, you are going to be history. I am going to be history unless we build that, that structure of Christ in our hearts and lives and get into our heads into the scriptures. Don't allow it to be a, a Sunday morning hour. Yeah, He asked for your life. That's not an hour of Sunday morning. But for most people it is. And that's their cost. That's the cost they're willing to pay. Well, he's demanding a whole lot more from us. And we're going to see it. But do you see here, the disciples were in any doubt that their salvation was a future event. Yeah? In his future, earthly coming kingdom, if I hang in with you, Jesus, what will future tense be in it for me? And guess what? He's going to tell these guys. What's in it for them? It's fantastic. And the scriptures tell us what's in it for us. He's not leaving us hanging out and, and guessing. It's not a guessing game for Jesus. The scriptures are quite clear. There's a massive inheritance for everyone who stays and endures till the end. Yeah, it's fantastic, guys. Really exciting. But look at what Peter was saying. Hey, Jesus, we've paid the cost. We've paid the price. What's in it for us? What's in it for us? What's the wages? Why do I? Why should I bother? Why should I put up with this hassle with my family? Why should I put up with this rejection from my relations or the redeemed? Here's why. Coming up, yeah. But do you think Peter would have been? Let me ask you a question. Do you think Peter would have been so demanding if he hadn't paid any price? It wasn't him doing a verse. Was it? Jesus, I did the verse. Oh yeah? Well you get a verse worth then. Look at Matthew nineteen twenty eight. And Jesus said to hey, them <laughs> Who is he focused on? He's focused on the faithful redeemed that were around him. Truly <laughs> here he is again. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> but we reject these words. And we, th- we superimpose theology on top of this. And we'll believe the theology because Dr. So-and-so said it. Can't be wrong. He's got a mega church, for goodness sake. Yeah. Well, Jesus Christ didn't have a mega church. He was on his own with 12 guys around him. Right. And he's sticking the what? Truth to them. Look at this. Truly I say to you, in the new world, and that does, that's not referring to a new world, it's referring to a regeneration, a renewal. We're talking here about the kingdom. What's the context? The kingdom. Because the new heaven and earth is a future event beyond the kingdom. The Son of Man will... And then he said, And when the Son of Man... So in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne... Look at this. You who have followed me. What about those who hadn't? He's not talking to them, is he? He's talking to those who were faithful, those who are going to endure, like these guys, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Isn't that fantastic? Peter asked him, what is in it for us? Jesus said, here it is. You're going to be ruling and reigning over the 12 tribes of Israel in my kingdom. Peter must have gone, wow, never expected that. But you know something? Jesus Christ had to know that these 12 would endure to the end. Yeah? He had to know that. Because he couldn't promise them that without knowing that they were going to endure. And they endured with their life. They gave up their life. They were martyred for Jesus Christ. 
But did you hear that? So, so when the disciples confronted Jesus about being saved, did you catch this? About being what? Saved for their quote salvation. Did you, did you remember that? We read that. Yeah? What does Jesus start talking about? He didn't start talking about the day of Pentecost, did he? Why didn't he? Because if that was the start of people being, quote, saved, as many people teach today, as the majority, in fact, teach today, why didn't he tell the disciples that? Because he started talking about salvation being in the coming earthly kingdom. Because the only time, and I said only time, our complete salvation turns up is exactly when Jesus depicts it right here in his coming earthly kingdom. Got to keep it in that context. Don't zap it out of that context because it fits your theology. Because most of this doesn't fit people's theology. That's why they've probably tuned out already. Do you understand? So we see right here, the twelve disciples are going to be in the coming kingdom. Do you remember that day a few weeks back? We counted up some of the people who were going to be in the kingdom. There's twelve. And Jesus in there, thirteen. A lucky number. Yeah. So Jesus even given them the job description. Here's what you're going to be doing. Wouldn't that be great if we all got a job description in the kingdom? Yeah. Verse 29. 29. And everyone who has left... Oh, hold on. Here's some of the costs now coming up. He, he just didn't leave it at that. He said, and everyone... Now he's talking about who? Those who have followed him. And everyone else who has followed me and who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands or for the sake, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold. And will what? Inherit eternal Ionian life. He didn't mention doing a worse, did he? He must have missed that bit out. No, he didn't. You've got to pay the cost of walking in faith towards his inheritance to inherit into that age-lasting life, kingdom. There's a verse here. Watch this verse. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. That's an interesting verse, isn't it? So what does that mean? Hands up. What do you think it means? No, we don't do that, do we? We keep reading. Remember how important it is to read the context. Because Jesus is going to explain that. Did he explain it there? No, he didn't. But he will if we keep reading. Don't go and write a book about this. This is what so many people do. They stop and say, okay, this is what I think it means. And they start another church. The church of the last. And the church of the first. And last and first churches. So Matthew 20, verse 1. Four is a real big indicator to us all. It's a conjunction, doesn't it? It's tying what he talked about before with what's coming up. Keep reading. Yeah? For, now here we go, the kingdom of heaven. So are we still on the same subject? We are. We're on the same subject as is all his parables on the kingdom, this coming earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's the subject of all the parables. It's like, so it's a simile, isn't it? It's a figure of speech that Jesus Christ is using here to depict the kingdom, which is a, you know, he's depicting a heavenly truth in an earthly context. So you and I can clearly understand it. Watch this. 
It's like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. You got that picture now? Yeah? The master, we're going to see, is so often depicted as God. But he goes out early in the morning, right, to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now look at verse 2. This is significant. For agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day. So he, he found these laborers who were willing to work and he had a contract with them. He put a contract, terms and conditions together. We've all got them if we work. Yeah, terms and conditions. Here you go. You work for a day. I'll give you a denarius. Yeah, I'm up for that. Great. And he sent them into his vineyard. So they've all got a contract, don't they? They've all got employment terms, right? Now, do you remember the parables we looked at recently, the wedding banquet? Do you remember that? And the parable of the feast, remember? Mm -hmm. The servants gave the invitation out to the redeemed of Israel first. Remember that? He went out and delivered the message. But they paid no attention. Nobody uh, RSVP'd. Yeah, so he had to go to those outside of Israel. We're going to see it here. Because when they didn't respond, he had to widen the invitation out to get people into the banquet, to get them into the feast. Yeah? He told them to go out and get anyone who would respond. Now, we've got to keep that in mind as we go through this parable as well. Why? Because all of these parables are depicting the exact same event. This is not a different kingdom. This is the same kingdom. We can transpose all our understanding of all the other parables onto every other parable because it's depicting the same event. It just expands it to some extent. Yeah? And look at verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others. Did you catch that? He's got those guys already working in the field. They've got their terms and conditions. They're getting a denarius a day. But he also went out about the third hour and he saw others standing idle, twirling the thumbs, yeah? idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too and whatever is right, I will give you. Now, most of, us wouldn't get, most, most of us would not go into a job or a job description that depicted, I'll give you what I think you're worth. <laughs> Do you understand? But that's what he did here. Because the first guys went in, denarius a day, yeah, I'm on to that. And the next guys, he said, well, you're standing idle, I'll give you what you're worth. Now, most of us would say, hold on a minute, Mr. Employer. <laughs> Let's narrow that down a bit. But they didn't, did they? So there was no contract here other than the contract, the verbal contract that the master had given them. Look at verse 5. five. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing and he said to them, Why do you stand idle here all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard, Now, is this God? doesn't explicitly say, but let's go with it that it is God for the moment. The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, is Jesus Christ that foreman? Call the laborers. The reason I put these meanings onto these foreman and the, the master is because of what happens next. Lay, call the laborers and pay them their wages. It's time to go home. Beginning with the last up to the first. Do you remember verse 30 of the previous chapter? Yeah? We're going to start to understand what he meant by that, that uh, phrase, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Okay. Verse 9. 
And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, (laughs) did you catch that? Those who hired first came, this is a depiction of Israel, of the redeemed of Israel who were first. Yeah? So when those hired first came, they thought that they should receive more. That's not fair. We've been out there in the heat of the sun, working hard. And these guys got the same as us. We should get more. What was the agreement? The agreement was you get a denarius a day. Didn't say how many hours you're out there. It's a day. It's whatever you did, you're going to get a denarius. But these guys said, hold on. They're looking over there, seeing these same guys starting halfway through the day. And they're getting paid the same. Catch that? Because they thought they should receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. The level playing field. Do you see that? They all got the same. And on receiving it, they what? Grumbled. That's a huge key in the word, guys. Do not underestimate that word. That's why I put in red. Yeah? Never underestimate the power of this grumbling in God's sight. It's absolutely huge. Don't underestimate your grumbling. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. You don't want to do that. That is not a good place to be. Numbers 14.27, is it in your notes? Numbers 14.20. Look at what the children of Israel did to God and one of the reasons their outcome was so bad. How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the what? Grumbling of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Three grumblings in one verse. God hates this. Yeah? He hates it with a passion. Verse 12, saying, These last worked out only... Yeah, sorry, back in Matthew. In verse 12. Yeah? And, And he goes on to say, Yeah? Because he said, let's start in verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumble at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour. <laughs> it wasn't even half a day, guys. It was one hour. And you have made them equal to us. I don't want you to forget that. That's why it's highlighting your notes. You, 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 you got these guys in the field first. You agreed with them a denarius a day. And now you've put guys in for only an hour. And now you're paying them the same as us. I don't think so, God. God's saying, yeah, I am. But that's really significant as we move into the next few weeks of teaching when we start to look at the Jews and the Gentiles because that's what we're dealing with here is we're talking about those who were first and we're talking about those who were last. Yeah, it's really significant. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. These guys came in and the clouds were coming in. They only had an hour to work. And verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, Do you remember the guy in the banquet? Mm -hmm. This is a friend. This is somebody who was redeemed. Mm -hmm. This is not an enemy. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm doing you no wrong. What did I say I would pay you? A denarius, God. Yeah, well, I gave you the denarius. What are you moaning about? What are you grumbling about? Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Did I get that wrong? Huh? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last 
worker. <laughs> this last worker as I give to you. This is phenomenal when we see the revelation that was given to Paul in the mystery. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? <laughs> yeah. So the last will be first and the first last. Phenomenal. Fantastic. And we're going to be getting into the mystery. You know, and there's a number of different mysteries in the scripture. You've got to be really clear on what mystery we're talking about. And we're going to get into the mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles and what was revealed specifically to the Apostle Paul, particularly in the book of Ephesians and other areas of the scripture. But that's starting to lay some groundwork. (laughs) That is not the revelation of the mystery, but it's starting to lay some groundwork that God calls those who are first Israel, but he also calls those outside of Israel. Because remember all the other parables we've been in. The wedding banquet, the feast, they went out to others brought them in and God's showing us here he's making them equal but it's not the full revelation of what that means that comes up and was only ever revealed to the Apostle Paul and we'll see it later on in this series yeah so now we understand what Jesus was communicating here wasn't he He was saying despite Israel being God's redeemed in the main yeah and being the focus they were the first focus the Gentile nations who were perceived as last Remember, Jesus Christ described them as dogs at one point. Yeah? They were down in the pecking order. But God brought them up in the pecking order. We're going to see it, in the, as I say, in the weeks to come. Because we're all in the church. And we're going to see the significance of that word church, which again is often depicted as starting on the day of Pentecost. Where does it say that in Scripture? Give me a verse. One verse. That says that. It doesn't say it. And if it doesn't say it, what are we doing teaching it? Well, we don't. But some do. Yeah? And we will see that despite this being revealed, this mystery being revealed to Paul, we're going to see what the extent of that revelation was to Paul, which was absolutely fantastic. And we'll see it as in detail uh, possibly next week. So let's read some more about the extent of the cost yeah, that Jesus talked about. It's so key for us to understand this. Now bear in mind, he's talking to those who are what? Following him, isn't he? Following him. Believe me, there's no cost if you don't, in the sense of what he's asking us to pay. Yeah? You might pay in other ways, but you're not going to pay the way he's depicting it. Because he's talking about those who jump on the train. He's talking about those who jump on the train with Jesus Christ on the front of it. This is the destination, the kingdom. There's going to be a cost for that journey. Because, you know, a lot of people relegate what we're reading here into the history books with dispensational theology. Oh, no, no, he's not talking to us today. He's talking to the Jews. That Leave that alone. You've got to come back into the epistles to understand what's been addressed to you. Look, if the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are not addressed to me, we're in real trouble. Yeah, Because it's the same gospel he was teaching that Paul taught. Exact same gospel. Wasn't a different gospel. Yeah, we've been through that. You know, and, and they jump on these verses like John 10:10. 10, 10. You know, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might la- have life and have it more abundantly. Oh yeah, that verse is okay. I'll take that one. But when he when he repeats the ones that we read about earlier, but we're going to read some context in what Jesus Christ refers to as being 
part of that walk, of that cost, of that walk that is such a high cost. Matthew 10, 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I, will, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Now remember, a lot of people quote John 10, 10 at you, but they don't want to hear this verse. <laughs> yeah? Because it doesn't fit their theology. doesn't fit the message they want to give to the church. Well, it's his message. Take it. And, it's, and he says in verse 33, But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do you understand? That's the truth. Yeah? That's the truth. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. But we don't want to read that, do we? Oh, the John 10 is okay. But see that one? That's addressed to the Jews. That's nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with you and me in this day and time. These words absolutely apply to all of us. Why is it going to be any different for you when you start declaring the name of Jesus Christ and you get rejection from your family? Of course it's addressed to you. Of course it's addressed to me. <laughs> so devilish to teach anything else. So don't be under any illusion that if we deny Jesus Christ, he'll be denying us before God in heaven. <laughs> Do you catch that? I don't care how many verses you've done. He said that's what's going to happen. So guess what? That's what's going to happen. How do we know that? Because we just read it. And he always told the truth. Yeah. So no matter what theological illusions many people are blinded by, he spoke the truth. So every time we read his words, we're speaking the truth. Every time we hear his words, we're hearing the truth. So if you're a betting person, as 125 million Americans are, mm -hmm. you can be back in the words of Jesus Christ. It's been the truth. Yeah. So I want us to cover something uh, we touched on last week when we looked at the calling of the Apostle Paul. Remember that? Here was that... <laughs> do you remember when Jesus called Paul? The job description he got through Ananias. He said, I'm going to show this guy. I've called him out. I'm going to show this murderer of my followers that he must suffer for the sake of my name. And boy, did he mean that. <laughs> Did he mean that? He sure did. Now what many do today is, they say, well, this is what happened in that culture, but the truth today is we'll be exempt from any suffering. Tell the Christians in China that. Tell those who have been beheaded in his name in North Korea that. So there's these verses that people pull out of context and say, oh no, there's no wrath for us. We're going to get gathered together. With Jesus in the clouds forever be the air. What a comfort gospel that is. But it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether you like it or not. So if there's one person who suffered for his name in this quote administration as so many dispensational theologians, theologians call it. yeah, They're wrong. Because every promise of God is promised to those individuals, if it tells us, you and I, that we're going to suffer, believe me, we're going to suffer. You're not going to be the exception to that if you do what he says. But they use these verses out of context with the wrong understanding and don't go to the majority of the scripture and see what Jesus Christ is talking about when you're going to suffer. We're going to see some of the verses today. We're not going to read them all, but we're going to have some in your notes.
But do you realize the guy we're going to read about was one of the greatest representatives of God who ever walked the face of the earth? Now, you'd think he would be exempt from suffering, wouldn't you? Yeah. You think if there's anybody on the top of the non-suffering list, it would be this guy. Well, he did so much for the church. But he's on the top of the list. Does that tell you something? Yeah. It tells you if we live much longer and if the scriptures are anything to go by, and they are, that there's going to be a whole lot of suffering coming up. And that's why I'm teaching this. Because we've got to prepare and if you don't prepare, and I'm not talking about next week. If you're not preparing now, this thing happens so fast it'll make your head spin. Do you realize historically, when the Jews were exterminated by the Nazis, they didn't have a lot of time to run away. Millions of them. So even historically, never mind the Bible, even historically we've got records of this happening in nations. It's happening today. In parts of Africa and parts of the Middle East, it's happening today. Don't open your eyes. Don't close your eyes to it. You've got to open your eyes to this. This stuff can happen any minute. This world is so fragile right now, this could happen any minute. Seriously. But what religion is doing is it's, it's blinding the, the, redeemed of, the redeemed of this world to think it's going to be okay. Jesus is coming back. He's going to pat you on the back. You're going to get all your rewards. You're going to go to heaven when you die. There's no suffering in this life. What about when it starts turning up? Where do you think these people are going to be? History. Honestly. And you and I will be the same if we don't put on the mind of Christ, don't put on the root system or the structure of the scriptures and get committed to this. Yeah. So that no matter what comes, we have prepared, not only mentally, spiritually, but physically, to overcome, to endure to the end. It's huge, absolutely massive. Now, I depicted here in your notes many of the verses that tell us we're going to suffer. And bear in mind, these verses aren't even read. And if they are read by most of the redeemed, they're absolutely relegated into dispensational theology. That's not to me. Why is it not to you? Oh, because I'm free of all that suffering. Because I've been taught that Jesus Christ is going to return before any tribulation hits the church. So what's happened in the history that's going on right now for so many Christians who are suffering? Wakey, wakey. But it's, it's, it's the Western church for the most part. They're teaching us stuff. They're sitting in their air-conditioned churches, jumping into their air-conditioned cars, going to their air-conditioned homes to figure out that it's okay. Everything's going to be fine. It's not. It's not. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8 and in verse 17. You've got to read these things in context. We don't have time today, but read Romans 8. But I want to pull out just a couple of verses. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided. Did you catch that? Provided. It's a conditional clause. Provided you do this, you're going to get this. Remember the guy in the field, the denarius. Yeah, you work for a day, you're going to get a denarius. Well, it's the same here. Provided we what? Suffer. Can you read? Because <laughs> most people can't. They think they're going to get this regardless. Unconditional. I did a verse. I'm going to get it. 
It's hard to believe, but it's true. And I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to you like this. I did this for 30 odd years of my life. Did you catch that? So the majority of my life, I was blinded into believing that when I did a verse, I was going to be okay. I was going to get gathered into the clouds with Jesus in heaven for the rest of time. So I'm not pointing fingers at these people. I'm trying to break down the theological darkness that is in people's eyes that allows them to believe the lies of Satan that you don't you will not suffer, you will not come under any pressure by being a follower of Jesus Christ. That is not true, guys. It is not true. Provided we suffer with him in order that we what? Well, definitely. Not me. <laughs> what does that mean to you? The same thing as it means to me. In normal English language, may means you may get it. You may also be glorified with him. What's the conditional clause? If you suffer, you're guaranteed almost to be glorified. Do you see that? It tells us that in the book of Revelation. Those beheaded for Jesus Christ are into the kingdom. But we would rather a lottery ticket. A lottery ticket or being beheaded. <laughs> it doesn't sound too cool, does it? But if we take on the perception of what Jesus Christ said, we take being beheaded, guys. So easy to say. So easy to say. And I put uh, the tense, aorist, passive, subjunctive in there for you to read. Right? Now, I'm not advocating we pray to be beheaded. Do you get that? Or we pray for suffering. But it's blatantly obvious in the scriptures both historically and today, and depicted in the future in the scriptures, persecution, suffering, and tribulation will come for those who follow Christ. It's coming. It may not come in our lifetime. I don't know that. But you know there's rejection, there's persecution, and there's tribulation for us now, to some extent. But it's going to get so much bigger. Jesus Christ warned us as to what's going to happen on this earth. You can read it. But they don't read it. I'm not talking about those outside of the church. I'm talking about those inside. They don't read it. They will not pick up these books. They will not go to these verses we're going to look at today. Because, hey, we're covered. So let's go to some of these verses. We're not going to read them all. We're going to jump over some. The ones in italics we're not going to read. Yeah. So here's just a few verses here for you to read before you go to sleep tonight. <laughs> now do it before then you might not get any sleep if you read some of these verses right? but 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 that no one be moved by these afflictions do you see what was happening at this day and time that Paul is sitting in affliction for you yourselves know that we are destined for this <laughs> did you catch that this is written hundreds of years ago for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand. We what? We kept reminding you. You wouldn't listen. We had to keep repeating it. That you were to suffer, that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. Now, there's a, couple, there's a few verses there, but jump down to 1 Peter 2, 19. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, 
one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So it's going to turn up. For to this you have been called. Did you catch that? That's what we've been called to. Part of this calling is the calling that's depicted in the scriptures. Because Jesus Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So let me ask you, if you're not suffering, are you following in the steps of Jesus Christ? I'll let you answer that. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised. Do what? Do not be surprised. But do you understand? It's going to be an absolute shock. It's going to be like the disciples who read about it. Greatly astonished. What the heck's turning up? This isn't supposed to happen. My pastor told me no. We're going to get gathered together. What's all this stuff happening? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do you understand that's where the majority of the church are today? If this stuff hit the fan today, they'd be saying, hold on, why am I dying in the clouds? Well, you are in the clouds. Your head's in the clouds. Because you're not reading scripture and you're not believing what the Jesus Christ said. But rejoice in so... F- oh, hold on. Are these, easy to read? are these verses easy to read or what? Rejoice! When the stuff starts happening, yeah? When this fiery trial turns up at your doorstep, rejoice. Oh, thank you, fiery trial, for turning up. We're not going to be saying that, but that's the attitude of mind that God wants us to have. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. Did you catch that? Why? Because we're going to be glorified. And if you don't keep your eye on the glorification that's going to come after the suffering, you will fall. You won't endure. Look at this that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Boy, what a day. What a day! What do we have to focus on? When we're going through the fiery trial, when we're going through the suffering, when we're going through the persecution, we see the glory ahead. And we we try and switch off from the fiery trials, and we look at that. We look at Paul, when we're going to read in a minute, he was looking at that. He wasn't looking at all the stuff going on around him. He was so focused on the unseen, he couldn't virtually see the scene. He said, this stuff, light over to the affliction. (laughs) We're going to read what he went through, and none of us would take one of these events. We'd be taken out with one of them, never mind the whole group of them. So as we finish off today, right? let's look at the suffering Paul went through real quickly. I'm going to do a bit of speed reading here. Now remember who this man was. Yeah? He wrote the majority of the epistles that we have today. He was a man who wrote these verses down by revelation. The verses we're about to read, he wrote down. <laughs> yeah? By the revelation of God, by the Spirit of God working with him. Philippians 3.17. Now, I want us to, first of all, look at a couple of verses before we get into specifics. This is stuff he wrote. And bear in mind, we're going to read what he went through. But bear in mind, he also wrote these verses. Brothers, join in imitating me. (laughs) 
Believe me, by the time we finish reading Corinthians, you're not going to want to be an imitator of him. But you better be, because as we move into these times, as we move into these end times, it's going to get tougher. And we've got to become an imitator of him. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have where? In us. In our lives, in our ministry, this is the example that you've got to use to enable you to move forward. Philippians 4.9 What you have learned and received and heard and seen in, in where? In me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that fantastic? What a, a witness, what a depiction of a phenomenal man of God when he can say, you do what I do, you practice what I practice, and that God will be with you. You can only do that, write that down by revelation. Wow. Yeah. So let's quickly read 2 Corinthians 11, 23. Are they servants of Christ? Yeah. You go read this in the context. We don't have time today, but 2 Corinthians 11:23. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Now this is Paul talking. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors. Now I'm, not, I'm going to try not to stop at every one of these, but boy, they're tough not to stop at them. When you when you look at what's involved in some of these words that he's throwing out here, far far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings. He couldn't count it, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Thirty-nine. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, stranger in the city, danger in the wilderness. Was he in danger? <laughs> danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all this stuff, there's daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. Stick your hand up if you want any of that. And yet he called it light, momentary, momentary affliction and the only reason he could write that by revelation was because of his eyes being firmly fixed on the coming earthly kingdom and his inheritance in that kingdom if he was to endure do you remember that verse in Romans 8 he suffered he glorified he's going to be glorified he's going to be glorified and so will you and I so any suffering we have to go through, we're not, we're not sitting here praying for suffering, but it's going to come. If we live any much longer, it's going to come. When it comes, don't be shocked. Don't be like these people who read about, what are you shocked about? Mm-hmm. It's coming. And if it's coming, we've got to prepare now. Mm-hmm. It's not when it turns up that we start preparing. Remember the foolish virgins, it was too late. Mm-hmm. The preparation wasn't done. They got taken out. They didn't make it into the kingdom. Why do people think they're going to get off with no suffering? I don't get it. Because it's what they want to believe. It's what they've been taught from the pulpits of this world to believe. When the scriptures crying out something total opposition to what they're teaching. And you better listen up to what the scriptures are saying and what Jesus Christ is saying and what the Apostle Paul is saying and believe that, not what's being propounded.
from these places. So next week we're going to look at, actually we're going to look at the calling of the Gentiles in the scriptures, including what I mentioned earlier, the mystery being revealed to the Apostle Paul. And we may even start to look at that word church as we get into these sections of scripture. So over the next couple of weeks, I challenge you to really assess the common theological doctrine that the church, right, this Greek word ecclesia, started on the day of Pentecost, because that's what the majority teach. But is that what the scriptures actually teach? That's your challenge for next week. So your homework is, over the next couple of weeks, is to search out where it states in scripture that the church started on the day of Pentecost. I look forward to that list. Yeah? You won't need a pen. There's a, there's a clue for you. Okay. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the greatness of your word today. We thank you for the greatness of your scriptures. And Father, we magnify these scriptures beyond anything else in life. And that it's this scripture, Father, on the lips of Jesus Christ, on the lips of the Apostle Paul, depicted in the scriptures, Father, that are truth. Not necessarily anything else. So we thank you for that, Father. Thank you for a great week for those listening and for those here, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.